0: A very warm welcome to part one of the Beyond the Zero end of year special with Ben and Seth. In part one, we speak to Jen Craig, Adam Levin, Daniel Davis-Wood, David Keenan, Max Lawton, Sarah Littman, and many more. Welcome to the show, Seth. This is the end of year Christmas Hanukkah mashup special. It should be fucking wild.
1: Alternative celebrations of the holidays that I don't even know the names of. It is a pleasure to be here, Ben. How are we this evening?
0: I'm very well, Seth. It is um, a lovely pleasure to be with you. And uh, I know we have some amazing stuff coming up. So I'm excited to get into it.
1: I've gotten a bit of a sneak preview of the stuff we're going to be reviewing and listening to tonight. And I got to say, very chuffed about the participation for this particular uh episode the community really came through for us on this one
0: i think it's uh going to be overwhelming for not only us but you listeners as well because i think this may go to like four hours we'll see how we go well you um, know what that's
1: their problem not ours so
0: (laughs) well honestly get a pen out because uh we have so many book recommendations for you it is going to make your uh 2023, fairly easy in terms of books. You yeah.
1: say it's going to make it easy, but just based on what I've listened to in these clips so far, is there's like a couple hundred different recommendations in here. <laughs> I actually think, if anything, you've just made it harder for me. Like before <laughs> before we sat down to do this, I had like five or six books. I'm like, yeah, we'll try to tackle those this year, next year. And now I've got like 30 on here. So I don't know if you've made anything easier for me, mate.
0: Yeah, well, that's a good problem to have, right?
1: Uh, good problems indeed let's do this
0: all right let's get into it all right for our first person we're gonna go cross over to Canada to Travis Meyer from Meyer's mega fictional musings let's have a listen to Travis he's a great guy and if you haven't watched his videos you should but he also does like group reads and all sorts of stuff but get on to him so let's have a listen to Travis
2: hello readers and hello Ben congratulations on another um, epic year of of podcasting Ben A, a great great guests you've had on and i've really really enjoyed the content so keep up the great work and thanks for allowing me to be one of your very first guests uh i've got some five-star reads here and i guess some hidden gems i want to go over as well as quickly ones for next year thanks again ben okay so five-star read number one is gotta be satan tango by Laszlo Krasznahorkai. i just so engaging and like suffocating and probably the most suspenseful book I've ever read. I had no idea what hit me. I was intimidated looking at the density of the text um, and just the overall layout, but what a reading experience. And, of course, pairing it with the movie afterwards um, made it even better. So great, great book, five stars. Second one, uh, Manifold Destiny of Eddie Vegas. This is by none other than Rick Harsh. It's been called a word-drunk trans-historical odyssey. And I'm telling you people Rick has created something very very special here It's plot oriented in, in such a good way But also still so incisive And filled with both beauty and despair Great memorable characters And situations Like, And then of course Rick um, He does a lot of fun wordplay And he has he has fun with the words And it's brilliant Straight up brilliant Five stars um, Next one uh, is Darkinville's Cat And I must say this is probably my read of the year um, I, would even <laughs> I would even say, yeah, go ahead and pay the $275 or whatever they're going for online. But I was lucky enough to get a copy, and boy, am I thankful. If reading up on it, we know it's about love and hate and revenge, but the writing is probably some of the best I've ever seen or will ever see, to be honest. I was hooked for the six days I read it. It couldn't, couldn't get through to me. It was amazing. I thought about it. I lived it. One of the best books I've ever read, period, and, and my read of the year let's all say a silent prayer actually right now that this book somehow become available to more readers because it, be, um, it needs to be read. Five stars, easy. As well, I just finished um, Jerusalem by Alan Moore. I, I did a post on it, so I'm not going get, to get too into this one, but what a book, what an achievement. Six weeks of my life that I would gladly experience again. I just finished it the other day, so amazing book. Don't be intimidated by it. Okay, quick honorable mention, um, I'm likely going to give five stars to my current read I'm about three-quarters of the way through Under the Volcano by Malcolm Lowry. I've got a great group online I'm reading it with and a terrific resource that I'm looking up for all of the references and symbolism and what have you. And it's been a fabulous experience thus far. So that'll likely be five stars as well. Here are some hidden gems, folks. Um, 4.5 stars. I want to start with The Unidentified Man at Left of Photo by Jeff Bercy. What a delightfully fun and unique reading experience. Pure joy. Like, this is why we read. And, of course, it's a pocketbook, which I'm really drawn to, from Corona Salmas. Um, So that's a great one from Bursa, you guys. I highly recommend. Another one I want to mention is uh, my first Broadigan, Richard Broadigan experience. I read The Abortion and Historical Romance. It's like a novella. So good. So weird and engaging. And I will definitely read more of him someday uh i want to recommend the luminous novel by mario lavrero um, massive book but never dull and i think a little underappreciated like one of the better books about writing that i've ever read so super fun really engaging and poignant and thought-provoking and just fun luminous novels great you guys i want to mention um Lost Empress by Sergio de la Pava, who at this point needs to be considered one of the very best around. Um, I'm going to look forward to his next stuff. Um, But Lost Empress was so different from Naked Singularity, but pretty much on par. What a talent. Um, So Lost Empress, people, is also a really great read. And then just quickly, I I read my first John Barth, The End of the Road. I can't wait to get back to him. I found End of the Road. um, Absolutely riveting from Barth, so... Next year's commitments, real quick here. Uh, I will be reading Jonathan Franzen's Crossroads with the group. I think uh, Franzen is fabulous. I read Freedom and loved it. I think he's great. I want to read Louis Armand's The Combinations. Have you guys seen that book? Uh, I'm going to be doing a reread of The Pale King, my fourth time through The Pale King with the group online. I'm going to be reading more Thomas Pinchon. I've never read V, so I will be reading that. I want to get back to John Williams. I want to read more of William Vollman's Seven Dreams series. I want to touch on, at some point, The Anatomy of Melancholy by Robert Burton. I want to continue to place orders and <laughs> read pocketbooks from Corona uh, Titles like um, from David Vardaman and Chandler Broussard and um, all of the other wicked people that are you know, doing um, some writing with Corona Salmazdat. It's awesome. Some people are writing their first novels. I won't mention names. (laughs) Okay, a couple more. I want to read um, Car to Rescue. I can't wait to get to Solonide, about the most hyped book around lately, of course. I will be reading more Alexander Theroux at some point, as well as Alan Moore's new short story collection. And then lastly, I want to get back to Adam Levin with uh, Mount Chicago. Okay, thank you so much, Ben. I hope I didn't take up too much of your time. Readers, take care of yourselves. Uh, Bye for now. I gotta
1: say, it is a pleasure to hear one of my countrymen talk about the entirety of his reading year. I don't know if he'll be offended by this particular characterization, but I'm gonna go for it. Travis, you truly are Bookstagram's dad, and I love you for it. Um <laughs> what do we think? What do we think of his picks this year?
0: Oh, look, I mean, there's a heap of good stuff in there. Um, Lost Empress out of his books for this year. I think that's that's just one of my favorite books around Sajid Ullapabi. Can't go wrong. Um Jerusalem by Alan Moore. That's behind me in a three volume set. I just love that book. It's brilliant. What about your picks? What do you got?
1: Uh, I want to highlight two off his best of the year. Uh, Shot in Tango by Laszlo Creston I just think that is a gateway drug for a lot of people to discover that particular madman. And it's just always a pleasure to see people react to him the first time because I think about my first run through of that book and I had no idea what to do with it. It's pretty incredible uh and it's good to see richard broadigan on there as well he's one of those ones where he doesn't speak to everyone but to those who do like him he just resonates on an entirely different level um always a pleasure to hear people reading
0: him i'm not even going to mention under the volcano because if you haven't read under the volcano do yourself a favor because it is probably one of the best books like ever
1: you know who hasn't read under the volcano
0: who me (gasps) mate I, i've brought it
1: i've brought it home for christmas all right i'm bringing three books home with me to christmas and that is one of them so
0: yeah fantastic read let's move on who have we got next
1: i believe we have ben diamond calling in from london and if i remember correctly this clip is the most delightfully uh just short and sweet ever he just got right to the point with this one
0: <laughs> all right let's listen to it
3: hello ben here from london
0: the highlight of 2022 for me was Companion Piece by Ali Smith. By Ali Smith, Companion Piece. Have you read it? I haven't. I haven't.
1: I've got a couple of her um, seasonal quartet on my shelf that I keep threatening it to get to. And then other things just keep bumping the way in front of her in front of the queue. Um, but I saw this one making its rounds on Bookstagram earlier this year and people spoke quite highly of it. So yet another one I probably need to add to the ever-growing list.
0: Yeah, I'm yeah. going to put that on the list too. Haven't read it.
1: Yeah, right. No, fair enough. Excellent. Uh, ben, love your brevity. Straight to the point. Makes life easy for us.
0: <laughs> All right, let's move on to Courtney Chambry-Gray over in the UK as well. Let's have a listen to her best of the year.
4: Hi, this is Courtney from the north of England, Courtney Chambry-Gray. And my favourite books that I read this year include Hating Olivia by Mark Franco. Now, I came to find this book through Twitter. Um, the author is on there and it's hard to find his book which is a real shame because it's it's absolutely brilliant just the style of writing I think is really up my alley and it doesn't get talked about enough it's a real um, kicker of a book it's about these two in a relationship but he's a writer and things are not as they seem But I think you must go and read it if you can source a copy. I found some on eBay. I think you would really benefit from reading this book. My other choice is The Dry Heart by Natalia Ginsberg. I picked this up randomly at the bookshop. And it's a very short book, but it is absolutely just exquisite. It's vivid. There's a real twist that you don't expect, which really threw me off guard. Um it's packed with emotion the just the powerful language, but that also has a simplicity to it. Uh, it's just a brilliant book that I think people would really enjoy um My next pick is Bright Lights Big City by Jay McKinney. Um, this one is pretty much quite a famous one it's famously in the second person so you are the character it's always you did this you did that so it really takes you into that story and I really people like to dunk on second person uh, point of view but I really think it's quite it's quite a unique way of telling a story and I think it really makes the reader listen because the reader is essentially forced into it in a good way and I think my last notable pick for this year out of the things I've read is in Roadside Picnic by Boris and Arkady Strogatsky this is a Russian sci-fi classic it was uh, banned for a while but this one I just loved it I was gifted a copy by my late boyfriend um, and I've only just got to it in the last couple of months, but it is so good. It's riveting. Um, The character of Red is probably one of my favourite book characters of all time. Just the story is just, I mean, sci-fi I find thrilling anyway, but everything within it, it's just so immersive. It's almost like a VR game in a sense, like virtual reality. Not that that's the theme, it's the way it pulls you in. feels like you're being pulled into virtual reality. Um, It's just so enthralling and I really enjoyed it and I can see why people enjoy it so much. But out of those, I think those are my notable standout books for the year, although there's been so many that I've read this year. Um including Stefan Malamar's poetry that I've just started reading that is brilliant Uh, a lot of poetry that I've been reading this year has been just really good Um, but as for the ones that I've mentioned those are the ones that have stuck with me long after I've read them so those are my top books of the year.
1: Roadside Picnic. Isn't that the novel that Stalker by Tarkovsky was based
0: on? I believe you're right. I actually did some research into that this afternoon because I'd never heard of it. Um, Yeah,
1: I'm pretty sure that's the one. Uh, And that's an incredible film. And as I understand it, uh, Courtney, feel free to message me if I'm completely wrong about this, but I think it's got quite a bit different in the content of the book than Tarkovsky took with the film. He took quite a few Mm. creative liberties. So I'd be interested to see how those two stack up to one another. Uh, another notable name on that list would be the dry heart Natalia Ginsburg, quite a start to that novel. Um, mm.
0: I, I have you, not read it yet. Heard of it I've, no, I've heard of it, but I have not read any Natalia Ginsburg yet, but she keeps on coming up and I just have to read her.
1: She just drops you into the beginning of that book by saying, and then I shot him between the eyes. It's like, all right, <laughs> you, I, you got me here. I'm listening. <laughs> Next up on the list, we've got Jen Craig. Where is Jen calling from? I don't actually know.
0: Jen lives up in the beautiful blue mountains west of Sydney. So yeah, not far oh, from you.
1: Gorgeous. I was there uh, four or five months ago. It was absolutely lovely, lovely when I was there. Always a pleasure. Here's someone from that neck of the woods, uh, let's take a listen.
0: Hey, Jen. Thanks for joining me on the Christmas end of year special. Thank you. Thank you, Ben. <laughs> How's life up in the mountains this time of year?
5: It is not too bad, actually. It's been a very slow spring. I mean, it takes it's taken a long time to arrive, but it's here and it's beautiful.
4: Mm.
0: Very nice. First, some extremely exciting news for listeners, especially those Australian listeners, because You have a new publisher in Australia and Mm -hmm. Wall is coming out next year. That is right. Yes.
5: Wall's coming out next year, April, May, April slash May, along with uh, reissuing of my two earlier books too. So that's pretty exciting.
0: Brilliant. And so Wall is coming out in the States with, who is it? Zero Zero Gram. Zero Gram Press, yeah. Brilliant. Okay. Very exciting news
5: yeah yes I am I'm really looking forward to it yeah I'm really looking forward to seeing what happens what what people make of it um yeah
0: you were giving me the blurb just before and it sounds Mm -hmm. fascinating do you want to give everyone else the the quick blurb of all
5: (laughs) so situation a narrator um, who is a visual artist and has been based in London for a while needs to come back to Australia back to Sydney because her father's just died and her the family house, which is full of crap, has to be cleared. There's no one else to do it. And uh, it's something she just doesn't want to do, and yet it may or may not be the basis of a major artwork. So that's that's kind of the premise, I suppose.
0: Brilliant. That sounds really good. How long is it? Is it the same length as your other books, you take
5: it's longer than Panthers. Um, it's it's more like a, it's a similar structure to the way I notice I, I do that. Well, I don't know. Do I do that? It's similar to my first book where there's two parts. There's a shorter part and then there's a longer part.
6: Mm-hmm.
5: Um, I kind of like that structure, I can't, the way it moves, the way it shifts, the way a book can be split in the middle. So it does it does that.
0: Okay, excellent. I'm very much looking forward to that. And I know this book was written a little while ago now, mm-hmm. and it's had a bit of a long teething process to get out in the world. But you told me that there's something else. There's something else. The
5: yeah, there's something that may or may not be more than one book. It's a kind of project that I've, it, it, I'm deepening into. Yeah, and in my way of working, um there's this kind of a slow approach to it. I start, I have it a sense, and then I, the next, I, I keep coming down to it, and it goes the layers go deeper and deeper and deeper and I need to keep the whole thing working as a whole so that's always my challenge actually how to keep the complexity and the uh the whole shape going
0: okay excellent all right well readers have a lot to look forward to (laughs) thank you (laughs) yeah all right I should ask you about your highlights of 2022 in reading
5: Wow. Yes, I've had a lot of highlights. Um, Starting further back, I suppose, it's been a real delight to get to know a whole lot of um, one thing, one way or another, a few North American writers and their works that I kind of resonate with, something about, I think there's a kind of a through line here, obsession, sometimes creativity gone awry something something there so there's 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 a couple of works that I I, I really enjoyed there and there's Maro Javier Karin this is Aphasia that I I need to reread that one because the that kind of layering of the voice but a kind of the shift in. there's a really subtle emotional darkening as the book goes on and that's Mm. that that's really amazing another dark (laughs) book Gabriel Blackwell's Doomtown Mm. which is is if you like I mean there's this n- n- obsessive narrator and um, which I always love that kind of that kind of thing it, it just pulls me in but it has this amazing wide Gothic landscape I know I, I think I probably referred to a couple of these books earlier but they still stayed with me um it's 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 a really interesting one and um, Emily Hall, the long cut which was such a surprise when I first read it and uh, this is. I I completely relate to the whole energy, the 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 walking, the obsession. But she's got this way that she uses phrases like um like uh, people do cut up, you know, like a kind of a Dada thing. Cut up. She does does that with words or, or phrases, and that's really fascinating. And uh, more recently, I, I I got to read this is I think it's not coming out till it's not coming out till early next year um Jeffrey D. Morrison's uh, falling out and that this this kind of constraint that was kind of really exciting. He's quite a young writer. Um, someone's in a park on a single afternoon and then you know he's he's there to do something and, and we'll say no more. That was that that's really great. So I think this this whole thing enjoying finding writers um that have a similar I don't know. Conchance for this kind of obsessive voice mm-hmm. constraint. Um, what else? Ah, oh, ah, oh, oh, oh. Right, right now I'm I'm reading um, Sean Prescott's Bon and Leslie, and that's just so fabulous. Uh, <laughs> there's um, I'm only halfway through, so it's a highlight though. It's come towards the end of my year. Um, yeah, this. I'm trying to. I'm still trying to get a sense of what the feeling is to do with the way um, there's this kind of really careful uh, internal world, and there's something about the seriousness of the way he writes about things like drinking, <laughs> just obsessive drinking, it reminds me at the same same time of another book I read this year, G- Gerald Monane's Border Dis- Border Districts, but I also got to read Flann O'Brien's um, what's it called, A Swim Two Birds, and mm. there's this thing of about the way you can meticulously write about uh, things that people don't usually write about you know <laughs> being in that kind of context is I love that but um, yeah, but there's also the landscape thing in, in that book I just love that. So that's how, that's a real highlight. Um, halfway through that, a few Norwegian writers have been highlights too for me um, just gots and have started i don't do that i'm a bad reader i read a couple of things at once but Mm -hmm. um is mother dead i love that and in fact when i started reading i thought oh my god this because this really connects with my own obsessions in wall artists um and troubles with family making work about troubles (laughs) so yeah um they've been all been highlights. Um yeah, and a, just a couple of other things that were old. I mean old for other people, new for me, like um Ingeborg Bachman's Molina. Mm. I need to reread that, but that's yeah.
0: Really I need to read it, to... it for the first time.
5: <laughs> <laughs> it's this amazing performance, like it's written kind of like a a, uh, a play or uh, yeah, I have to come back to it because how to make sense of this, is. but it was very striking at the time. So that was highlight early in the year. Oh, I've got to think of another European, um, Laszlo um War and War. Mm-hmm. That's a, that was a slow build. And that was fantastic, yeah. You know, another book I read, which is really striking, I'm still trying to work out, you know, further to my slow process, understanding my slow process of understanding how books strike me, Um, Scott McCulloch's Falling Hour. So I'm I'm writing a piece on that and it is really fascinating because I'm trying to almost understand it on a kind of aesthetic level because I notice things, people have been writing about it in terms of reference, you know, in terms of its content or apparent content, but I'm... I'm in the process of making sense of that as a a piece, like a visual piece. It's very visual, or it's um, performative in a kind of experience. Not unlike, I gather, uh, the work of that um, French writer it was a Pierre yeah. Um And I became so intent on trying to work out what resonances there were. I um, hunted down his um, book I mean I, and I could only get it I didn't want to pay hundreds of dollars I only got it in in French and so I'm <laughs> I'm sort of just trying to get a sense of the aesthetic because he explicitly refers to that book or not that book but the um, oh the name has gone out of my mind of the French book has got there's several ones um that in his but there's a whole fan base of Pierre Gilliatite around the world and they perform his work. Um, and it's got clear connections to that world. And it's a pretty confronting book, and yet there's some kind of particular aesthetic experience in it. So that's that's something I'm 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 deepening writing into at the moment. Um, and uh Hoping to add to the conversation, I guess, with okay. a different perspective.
0: I will let you go. Um, mm-hmm. Enjoy your Christmas and New Year. And and yes, you too. Thank you. And much luck, much success with Wall for next year. And I hope we can chat again around the time of the release. Wonderful. Thank you so much, Ben. All right. Well, Jen, as always, has come up with some Brilliant stuff. And very excitingly, like Wall coming out through ZeroGram and Puncher and Watman here in Australia. And the exciting part of that is as well that Puncher and Watman will be releasing all of her previous work too, which is really nice because a lot of Aussies haven't been able to get their hands on her books. And um, yeah, really excited about reading Wall. It sounds amazing.
1: I, I as memory serves, just flicking through some of the messages we've already received. I think a lot of people highlighted this as like one of the standout reads from the year one thing i'd love to highlight from our list here melina by ingborg bachman i keep circling this book everyone you know what that's an exaggeration not everyone but the opinions of people who i highly trust keep telling me effusively to get around to this one uh and i've got a copy on my shelf it's beautiful i just yet another case of needing to make time for it
0: yeah is one that i've had on my list for quite a while um and i haven't read it either but, um, yeah, we'll get onto it. All right, let's move on. Daniel Davis Wood from Splice, the fantastic Daniel Davis Wood. Uh, he's also almost finished. Well, not almost finished. He's got a new book coming out. Um, that'll be fantastic. But let's get on to him. And he joins us from Scotland. Thanks for joining me on the end of your show, Daniel. Thanks for having me back, Ben. <laughs> Pleasure to see you. How's you Scotland uh, in, what is it, autumn now?
3: it's it's autumn I look to be fair it is only just feeling like uh like the end of autumn actually usually autumn is like a week in September and then it becomes really miserable but we've had some beautiful brilliant golden um brown uh fiery colored trees around for a while so it's 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 been quite nice I feel like this is the week where it tips into proper winter and we're we're into grey skies and sleet and the rest of the, the rest of the Scottish winter. So, but that said, it's uh, two weeks until the lights go on um, for Christmas around the place. So um, yeah, it's uh, it's a bit more bearable this year than in years past.
0: Beautiful. I was going to ask you for an update on your amazing publishing house splice. How are things going?
3: Yeah, you got me on a really good day. My plan when I woke up this morning was to um, get in the car and take some crap to the dump, but uh, <laughs> instead, I found, I found out that Adam Austin has made it through to the shortlist for the Tasmanian um, Premier, the Tasmanian Premier's Prize for Fiction, and the Tasmanian Literary Award. So I'm kind of uh, on a high. I've got a bit of a pep in my step now. Um, he, it, it, you know, it's just amazing news to receive about that book, which was the first book that Splice published this year back in March. Um, and it, um, you know, that, that book um, has done pretty well. I wished it had done better. I feel like there's still like a lot of readers out there who would really respond to that book who just haven't found their way to it yet. And I'm uh, looking a bit askance at the British media in particular for just not picking up coverage where I think they should have picked up coverage and wish they had. So I hope this gives it kind of a second wind um, and there's a couple of other prizes that it's in for in the next few months as well, that it's, you know, it's been nominated or put in um, some submissions. So I hope, uh, yeah, it, uh, it it gets like a, a bit more, a bit more uplift there as well. Um, and then for the rest of the year, um, of course, we published the Logos. So when I started 2022 looking at Splice, My anticipation was that we would publish those two books to begin with, Waypoints and The Logos, and um, Waypoints would take off like crazy and The Logos would be a much harder sell. But actually, The Logos has been, in some ways, the easiest sell. There is a real audience out there for gigantic, um, demanding, labyrinthine books. The Logos sold out its first print run with Splice a couple of months ago and it's into its second and that's nearly halfway gone. Um, My anticipation was kind of that it would be such a hard sell that it would maybe sell out that first print run over the life of the book, which is five years. Um, But it's already gone. So it's going really, really well. And I think that's been helped by, it's um, just been published in the US last month by Clash Books so um that's given it a bump for the uk edition and uh and the responses that have come through for the logos are just um amazing it's a, it's amazing to to um from my perspective to publish kind of a book that is contentious like i knew it would be a bit contentious going into it mark the yes. knew that it was a contentious book it is there are many ways in which you know people will respond kind of unfavourably to it, as well as favourably. And I've been rewarded, I think, as someone who also reads a lot of and appreciates literary criticism, to see the ways that people have taken the contentiousness of the Logos quite seriously and produced some really high-quality reviews and analysis of it that is actually um, engaging with some of what it is doing, aesthetically and politically. Rather than kind of just writing it off, there was a really long review in the Kaleidoscope, which was quite disputatious from my perspective. Like it really, took, it really disputed some of the value of the novel. But God, you just you, as a reader of lit crit, you're always dying for someone to really go in with that kind of depth and sort of really get their hands dirty and and take a book on and take it like wrestle with it. In a sincere way, even if you're ultimately coming out against it. So I really appreciated that review. And Daniel Green on his Substack has recently also reviewed the Logos, and he too is um, probably more sceptical of it than I am. But he, um, so, so I, uh, I value that too. I really, I really think that even the, the sceptical and disputatious responses are just brilliant. And I'm glad that the Logos provoked them. Um, and then we've got essay collection by Janice Grill, which is published next week. It's called Portals, Reflections on the Spirit in Matter. Um, And I'm going to be in conversation with Janice online um, in early December, um, which will be recorded as well for viewing afterwards. So, yeah, hopefully that one's going to go well. And that too has sold out its special edition. So it's been a pretty good year for Splice. And I guess that feeds into looking ahead because – uh, if the books don't sell out, then there's less money to publish other books. But thankfully, we've had financially a really good year. So um, submissions are open. I'm looking for novels and short story collections. Um, that's kind of an open field, but if you know what Splice has published in the past, you'll have a good sense of the kind of stuff that I'd be open to looking at. And I'm also specifically looking for uh, some novellas. So I've got space For four novellas and ideally what i would like to do is publish one from each of by an author who's in each of four territories so um north america um australia new zealand uk ireland and then the rest of the world so one author from each of those four places would be what i'm aiming for and the idea is to do them as kind of a uniform series so they'll have you know a, a shared um aesthetic um and they'll be priced um Lower than than a than a um, a full length you know brand new book, so hopefully um, enticing um, readers to pick up novellas uh, using using the hip pocket effect as much as anything else. And I feel like it's it's pretty good season for novellas at the moment. Um, Finlay Lloyd, the Australian publisher that I remember from many years ago, when they published Alec Patrick's novella, um, it's called Bruno Kramzer, which is a it's a great little novella. Um, they used to publish these small, like small editions of books, novellas that I I, I really liked, and I'm, they've just brought them back, so they're open to submissions at the moment as well. And here in the UK, a small press called Weatherglass, which is run um, by Neil Griffiths, he's one of the co-founders. He also founded the Republic of Consciousness Prize, so he runs this press, and they've just announced that there they've got a novella prize that is going to be judged by Ali Smith. Um, and that's open for submissions now through to next year. So uh, there's, um, I don't know, there's there's a bit more energy on when it comes to novellas, like across the board, than there was, I think, even six months ago.
0: With your submissions open, was that the crap you're taking to the for
3: earlier? <laughs> Uh I hope not. <laughs> I hope not. I hope uh I hope uh I hope those submissions uh when they're open, I hope, you know, I hope that they're it's full of nothing but gems that I that I want to hoard all to myself. Um there are some pretty um, I wouldn't say strict submissions guidelines for Splice, but there are some hoops that people who are submitting will need to jump through um just to kind of demonstrate that they that they kind of know. They know what splice is. They haven't just found out five minutes ago in a submitting blind because that is really difficult being there's only two of us who go through the submissions. And I don't know if most people know this, but we receive thousands, thousands of submissions from all over the world. And most of them are completely inappropriate for us. They are, you know, aspiring writers who have never heard of Splice and probably never heard of most of the small presses that we're kind of adjacent to and they they throw they they just blanket bomb submissions and just send in everywhere. And that seems innocuous because you can of course just hit the delete button, but actually the number that we get when we there's so many that just the time we spend opening the email and spending even just a minute looking at the pros adds up to Hours. It adds up to about 40 hours of culling submissions. There are that many. Um, so there are a few extra guidelines on there just so that people who are submitting know what they're submitting to, who they're submitting to. And that will of course give them a better shot, I think, and help us find the ones that are that we're actually looking for. Okay. For
0: 2023, have you got anything slated to come out?
3: So, um, no, no, nothing in the first half of 2023. But uh, the first two novellas, um, if I can find them, work with them, I I have penciled in the the last quarter of 2023 for the first two novellas. There are a couple of novels that I can't say more about at the moment because it's not finalised that are underway and in progress but they won't be coming out in 2023, more likely early in 2020. And that's partly to do with, um, I know I, I keep banging on about COVID and it feels like the, the worst of the lockdowns were in the distant past, but actually um, The Logos was a book that Splice acquired pre-COVID, pre-lockdown, and it only came out in April this year. Um and it's it was like the last of the pre covid things that we had to do so basically what we've had in the calendar this year is stuff that that was delayed mostly from 2020 and 2021 everything has been delayed so much because of um because of the inaccessibility of bookshops in the uk essentially and we had to just keep you know rolling them over to the next month and hoping that it would work um, that's only just cleared now. That's why submissions have only just reopened now because we have the capacity and we're not still dealing with um, this backlog. So um, that's also why there's, there's nothing for 2023 in the first part. Right? It's, uh, it's bringing up the capacity to to get things back on track to where they were before the lockdowns.
0: Brilliant. All right. Can you give us some of your highlights of 2022 in reading and some of the books you're looking forward to for next year
3: yeah for sure um 2022 in reading okay uh i'm just gonna i'm gonna go through uh, I, i've got my top 10 basically so five that i read this year and five that i'm looking forward to next year and i have cheated a little bit um because two of each of those categories are things i reread rather than things that i read nearly this year but that's uh that's just how the year shook out for me so um, the first book I read in 2022 was Grimish by Michael Winkler. I hadn't read it the year that it came out. Um, it's uh, it's in my top five. Uh, it, I'm not sure that there's anything that I can really add to what's already been said about Grimish by yourself and by other podcasts and by reviewers and by the Miles Franklin um, Awards judges. It's uh, it's brilliant in all the ways that people have been saying it's brilliant and uh I, I've, I, the only bad thing I can say about it really is that I shouldn't have read it as the first book of the year because it set the bar way too high. And mm-hmm. it was a long time since <laughs> 2022 before anything else reached that that height. Um, but the other two books that did reach that level for me were two of the, I think I, when I spoke to you, I had maybe five books that I was really looking forward to in 2022. Some of them didn't live up to my expectations, but two of them did. Um, one of them is The Long Cut by Emily Hall, which is probably my favourite book of the year. Um, I it, it is so short and so easy to read and yet so detailed and, to my mind, profound and hilarious that I had to fight myself from reading it in the way that, like, the rhythm of the prose wanted me to read it, like, I, had, I found myself speeding through because it's so propulsive and then every five or ten pages just going back and going slowly through to see how these sentences were knitted together, uh, how the imagery was working from page to page and over the course of pages and how the narrator's philosophical concerns were kind of going through different iterations. I really can't say um, anything, anything negative about it. I just, I loved it. I was absolutely wrapped by it. I think yeah, it probably is my book of the year. Um, and then the other one that I would rate very, very highly um, on the, on the level of Grimish and the long cut was Paul Stanbridge's book, my mind to me, a kingdom is, which is um, to my mind, a little bit missold in the sense that, there's been a bit of emphasis on kind of the Symboldian nature of the prose. And maybe that's because it also takes place in East Anglia, which is like W.G. Sebald territory and so on. And there is kind of something that resonates with Sebald in the, you know, the, the melancholy and the retrospective nature of it, but it is its own thing. And it is, um, it is uh, doing things with, Imagery in particular and imagery that then feeds into certain choices of language that then like of diction of words that are associated with images like trees and horses and so on. So he kind of goes from the image to the word association and then somehow to like syntactical structures, like how, what would a sentence look like if you could structure it like the roots of a tree right, or the way a horse is moving its bit. And it's just bizarre and exquisitely beautiful there's a there's a there's a beauty to these efforts to find ways of rearranging words to address without addressing directly the subject that he's addressing which is the suicide of his brother his brother the author's brother who lived in um destitution really and then took his own life um he hung himself from a tree um and the effect that that had on his family and on and on their memories of him. So I, I don't know. It's it's complex in ways that I haven't actually got language for myself. And it's um, for that reason alone, I'd say it was extremely rewarding. It, it felt it felt magical um, in a way that prose rarely does for me. And then the other two books that I really enjoyed reading in 2022 were Stanbridge's first book, which was a reread for me, Forbidden Line, which is in some ways the total opposite of my mind to me kingdom is it's it's joyful exuberant it's bizarre and hilarious and it, you know wacky in all sorts of ways it's a maximalist novel whereas the new book is much shorter but i actually think those two books really need to be read together i mean the the protagonist of forbidden line is like the positive um joyful mirror image of the brother in the new book, right, down to the way they 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 live, they dress, the way they speak and think. It's essentially the same character, but one in a very dark light and one in a very bright light. Um, and Forbidden Line, yeah, it's just it was so rewarding in so many ways and I'd, I'd forgotten just how good it was. It was one of those rereads that, that you know, the book improves on rereading. Um, and then the other book that I read, which I picked up on a whim and hadn't read it for about 10 years was warlock by oakley hall um which some of your listeners might know as a, as a book that was a, in some way celebrated by thomas Pynchon. it comes with a blurb by pinchon um, in the new york review of books classics edition um it's not that pinchon-esque it's a uh, it- it's a, it's a Western novel. Um, it's about a, a, a town in America's Old West called Warlock, and it's about you know the interactions of the miners and the saloon owners and the deputies and the you know the the, the marshals and rangers and so on. And it's but it's so um, it's such a sprawling panoramic vision of this town, and the characters are are so kind of. Um, interestingly developed. I wouldn't say they have depth, but the language characterises them in ways that are often at odds with their actions, which is really interesting. And the dialogue is the dialogue is probably the closest thing to Pinchon-esque. Um, it's really kind of razor sharp and witty, and, and um, there's a lot going on under the surface and a lot going on linguistically, like playfully. Um, so I really wasn't expecting to go back to Warlock, but did, and I was so glad that I did. It's really a great novel. Um, And then looking ahead to 2023, um, yeah, again, I'm cheating because there there are two out of five that I've already read in one way or another, but here they are. Um, So I'm looking forward to Brian Dillon's new collection called Affinities. So I really enjoyed his last two books, Essayism and um, Suppose a Sentence, which is a really, really nice book of essays on sentences. Um, from literature and their structures. Uh, Affinities is about art, and he's written about art in a lot of his other books, so um, I'm interested to see who he's, who he's looking at in that one and what he's going to say. Um, and then J.M. Katsia has a new novel coming out this year, I think, but he's done that kind of strange thing that he, he has done with previous novels where he's published it. So previous novels he's published in, like, Australia before he's published them in the U.K. and the U.S., so they kind of have this, you know, small impact that then ripples out. This one he has published in Polish, so the translation, (laughs) the Polish translation is out first, Mm -hmm. uh, (laughs) and we have to wait for it to come out in English. Um, I think it's the Polish translation. It might be something else, but the novel is called The Pole, like it's about a Polish um, character. So I don't know what's going on there, but I'll read anything. Could say writes, and, and I think it's an interesting experiment that he's running with, um, with publishing the translation first. Other than that, I know nothing about it. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the third book I'm looking forward to is Jen Craig's follow-up to Panthers and the Museum of Fire. It's called Wall. Um, I have read a version of it in manuscript form. That was a while ago. Um, I don't know how much it's changed since then, Um but I can tell you that what I read was easily the equal of Panthers, um, if not if not better than Panthers. I don't think anyone who's read Panthers or her previous book since the accident are, are going to be in any way disappointed with Wall. It feels like uh, the culmination of of something that those two books have set in motion. It's really really rewarding for people who've been following her for a while now. And then the last two books in 2023, the ones that I've read are. Um, so they're coming out in new editions. So one of them is uh, Jan Fosse's Melancholy One and Two. Uh, most people will probably know Fosse from uh, the Septology, which has been coming out over the last few years. But um, here in the UK, Fitzcarraldo are publishing two books that have been previously translated into English. They were published separately, Melancholy One and Melancholy Two. What's a little bit interesting is that they're publishing them as one volume, and they name Damien Searles is the primary translator. Um, But Melancholy 2, when it was published by Dalkey Archive in, I want to say, like 2008, was not translated by Damien Searles, so I'm not sure if they have commissioned a new translation from Damien Searles to kind of make a uniform edition with the Septology, Alice at the Fire, which has recently come out again, and then Melancholy 1 and 2. It's about, um, it's two novels and they kind of, The second one is not a direct sequel, but it kind of complements the first one. They're about a um, 19th century Norwegian artist and his psychotic breakdown, um, an actual historical figure and his psychotic breakdown. And it's really um, very haunting, uh, extremely well-written in that Fosse style that people will recognise. And so well worth bringing out again. I'm glad that they're back in print. It's, It's been a while. And then the last book is, um, I'm putting it here, I know it well, um, but I'm putting it here because when I spoke to you, a uh, flagged is one of my gateway books, Alistair Gray's Lano, mm-hmm. And I know some people, you know, uh, as a result and there's other people talking about it, some people have been going back to Alistair Gray. Mm-hmm. But Dalkey Archive are bringing out a new edition of Gray's Poor Things, the novel Poor Things. And if you're looking at Gray's career, like he's basically he has got a lot of short stories that are really worth reading after you've looked at some novels, but he's basically known for three novels. They are Lanark, 1982 Janine, and then Poor Things. And Poor Things came so the first two were published almost back to back or very close together. And then he kind of went through a decade, maybe a little more, of just kind of not not being that great. And Poor Things was like his comeback novel. Um and it's it's really extraordinary. It's um It's a really good jumping on point for Alistair Grey as well. And I think it's probably coming out through Dalky, like being brought back into print because there's a film adaptation that is underway. Um, I don't know how well it's going to work as a film. It's so surreal and kind of chaotic and, you know, crazy that it seems unfilmable, but I'd be willing to see what it looks like. Um, But, yeah, for anyone who has been curious about Grey or any kind of length of time but not sure where to get on. Duffy are putting out four things and I think that's a great place to start.
0: Brilliant. Okay. I'll put that on my list. One thing I'll ask you before you go is do you have any updates on your own
3: writing? <laughs> um selfishly the one of the reasons that I pushed uh new work from splice back to the second half of 2023 is to clear Probably a quarter of the fir- a quarter of 2023 in the first half to hopefully finish a draft of my own work. So yeah, I've got as of yesterday about 45,000 words on what, at this rate, will end up around 150,000. Wow! So All hopefully, right. uh, <laughs> I'm hoping by by Easter for sure. I'm hoping to have a, a full draft and then hopefully something to send in around year. The-
0: Brilliant. Okay. Cannot yeah. wait. That's amazing. Fingers
3: crossed. Fingers crossed.
0: <laughs> Thanks. Brilliant. Thanks. Cool. Well, I should uh, bid you a Merry Christmas and a very happy New Year with your family.
3: Thanks. And you too. And uh, all the best to you and Steph with uh, with this interview wrap-up. Hi, Seth.
0: <laughs> Thanks, Daniel.
1: Daniel's got to be one of the nicest guys out there. Am I right?
0: Oh, he's Like I've, I've been lucky enough to meet him in person and we chat fairly regularly and he is just wonderful. Um, He's also got fantastic taste in books.
1: He also puts a lot of faith in projects that don't have that immediate commercial viability, at least at kind of face value. I remember when I was talking to him about choosing to publish the logos, which is a, a difficult, challenging book for any number of reasons. But he just had such uh, such complete faith in what Mark was trying to do, and he's like, you know what? I've got to believe that people are going to read this, and I think that book's found an audience. I still see people circulating it through on Book Twitter and Bookstagram and whatnot. So he's just, and he's just such a straight up no BS kind of guy. I always enjoy chatting with him. um, Someone I'd love to meet in person.
0: So Paul Stambridge is somebody who um, I didn't know about till I spoke to Daniel. But his two books are, my mind to me, A Kingdom Is, that's his new one, and also Forbidden Line, which I haven't read yet, but it's on my desk. Um, I'm just really looking forward to reading those next year. I haven't got to them yet.
1: I want to point out uh, Warlock by Oakley Hall. I've read the first chapter of this probably two or three times which sounds like a bad thing but it's not it's it's entirely my fault and not the book's fault I keep trying to get into this thing and keep getting distracted for a number of various reasons but I know it's something I'm gonna love uh my lord and savior Pynchon blurbed the back of it so I know it's just gonna be something incredible and Sean Travel Through Stories did an awesome review on his channel as well so that's what I've been meaning to get to
0: that's one that's been on my shelf for about four years. And I still have not cracked the first chapter. Like I've still I've read the first couple of pages, but that's it. But I find the fact that Pinchon and his buddies used to go around speaking in that kind of language, um, in that vernacular. I think that's such a cool story. So I will have There's to. There's obviously
1: it. obviously something there, right?
3: Mm, and sure. I'm
1: just gonna warn all the people listening to this the refrain, the light motif, the theme of this episode is. Oh, we've got to get around to that. Oh, I've got to make time <laughs> for that. You're going to hear that a lot tonight. So I'm so mm-hmm. sorry for getting sick of hearing that.
0: One other book he brought up um, was the was Poor Things by Alistair Gray. Fascinatingly, like people making a movie of that, I think, is really interesting. And just like looking at, you know, book Twitter recently regarding the White Noise uh, adaptation coming up.
1: contentious. Um,
0: yeah, I think it'll be a piece of shit. I can't imagine that'll be. Going
1: oh, go on. You, so you're landing in that camp, eh? I, I, th-
0: I can't imagine you can make that into a. I think they're making it into a movie. Like I thought, you know, series. Okay, I can do it, but if it's like, yeah,
1: I don't know. I Noah know Baumbach, he's hit or miss for me, mm. but I trust Gerwig and Driver together. I feel like those two have enough clout both in an actor and a sort of editorial and producer sense that they can probably pull something reasonable, even in film treatment. And let's be real. I want to piss some people off by this, uh, but I think that white noise is kind of, uh, excuse me, Delillo's most obvious book. It kind of Mm -hmm. has the subtlety of a sledgehammer, if I do say so myself, (laughs) um, relative to some of the quieter, less outspoken ones. So, Mm -hmm. I mean, I think if any one of them could be adapted into just a single two to three hour treatment that would probably be the one so i would call myself cautiously optimistic for it but Ooh, i guess we'll find out in a couple of weeks
0: exactly a couple we of weeks
1: i don't know when it's, out, so. it's
0: on netflix yeah we'll take a quick break here you're listening to the end of your special with ben and seth This episode is sponsored by Balenciaga. Order now to get your Bondi in time for Christmas. Use promo code KANYE to get a free vial of Adrenochrome and a Wayfair storage cabinet for all of your storage needs. Balenciaga, it's fashion. We're back on Beyond the Zero.
6: This is the end of the year special with Ben and Seth.
0: All right, let's move on. Who have we got next?
1: Uh, Next up, we have Sarah Lipman.
6: Hey, Ben. It's Sarah Lipman again. Uh, Thanks so much for having me back to talk about books I've enjoyed this year and books I'm looking forward to. Just want to say thanks again so much for your wonderful podcast that has nourished me immensely recently and provided so many uh, additional reads to my ever-growing TBR shelf. So appreciate you and all that you do and all your guests so very much. Um, books I have super enjoyed reading this year include Human Blues by Elisa Albert, Peter Orner's Still No Word From You, Dinosaurs by Lydia Millett, I also recently got into um, Samantha Hunt, who I know has been around for a while, but um, I just started reading her. Um, the Unwritten Book, which is nonfiction. It's a marvel. And um, then I also read this year her novel, The Seas, which is uh, heartbreaking magic. Oh, and um, Steve Almond's All the Secrets of the World is terrific. That's his debut novel. Um, and this was also the year that I read Bulgakov's The Master and Margarita, which was terrific fun. I also blurbed a bunch of wonderful books this year, particularly story collections. Um, Is This All There Is by Marcel Heath, Shapeshifting by Michelle Ross, and How We Disappear by Tara Lynn Masse. I just started reading Rachel Aviv's work of nonfiction called Strangers to Ourselves, Unsettled Minds and the Stories that Make Us. Um, I just like one or two chapters in, but I'm enjoying it so far um, and I have a feeling it's going to be quite special, as is Morgan Talty's debut story collection, Night of the Living Rez. I'm only one or two stories in, um, but I've gotten, some tr- gotten somewhat distracted, um, which is also a theme of this year. Unfortunately, this has been a year of, of terrible distraction, which is another story. Um, as for books that I'm looking forward to... Um, I am dying to read Moriel Zecher Rothman's novel, Before All the World, which came out in October, but sounds absolutely brilliant and heartbreaking and funny and a study in translation and in humanity. Um, I'm also looking forward to Ann K. Yoder's debut novel, The Enhancers, and Deborah Shapiro's book, The Consolation. Seth Rogoff has a new novel coming out in spring called The Kirschbaum Lectures, which I'm really excited about. And my friend Jolene McElwyn's debut story collection, *Sidle Creek, is also coming out uh, from Melville House in the spring. One of my many, many problems, Ben, is buying books and watching them collect dust on my shelf. So maybe this is a year that I tackle some that are getting ripe and overripe, books I picked up long ago and haven't cracked, such as Peter Matheson's The Snow Leopard or Iris Murdoch's A Severed Head or Joshua Cohen's The Netanyahu's. But undoubtedly, I'll just keep buying new ones, which will rise to the top of the list and so on and so on until I die. Happy reading.
0: Yeah. So Sarah Littman, the author of Lech and uh, a couple of other books on the cards tonight you'll hear about later. She brought up some great books. And on her episode um, she did with me, she brought up two books specifically. But one was Peter Orner's Still No Word From You. And um That book is just a brilliant, like literary memoir. Like it's just funny and has so many great anecdotes in it. So that was like a highlight for my reading year. But um, yeah, a great, great add to her list. What have you got on her list? What do you like?
1: Uh, I have a question actually, sort of a little bit abstract here, and it might be a bit Mm -hmm. sort of glaringly obvious, but what do you think separates a standard issue memoir from what you just termed a literary memoir?
0: Look, I think that the literary memoir, I think we're talking about stuff like uh, almost like a Seabolt kind of thing where you're getting stuff uh, that may be memoir-esque. You might get a nice personal story, but you might also get a really great anecdote about a writer, or you might get, you know, a whole other thing happening. Like I think it's that kind of Seabolt feeling where you're exploring something and by way of exploring something, you're exploring a person's life. So I think that that, um, that's the thing I love about these kind of books where you feel like you're getting a bit of both. You're getting like a lovely, beautiful, like walk in the woods with a writer and you're also getting a, you know, a bit of a personal memoir. So I think it's that whole idea of like going into some of those details of your life while you're, you know, doing other things. So uh,
1: Jordan from Jordan Rothacker from Volmania articulated it quite well in reference to Volman. I think he mm-hmm. often referred to that as sort of a quote unquote psychological profile of a particular. Particular time and place mm. and I think that maybe that's kind of driving at what you're getting at here so Peter Orner, still no word from you that's one I need to make time for yeah. um drinking game for those of you listening at home anytime one of us says oh I gotta make time for that have a shot you'll be trashed by the end of this episode
0: trashed by like the first 30 minutes I reckon
1: one I'd like to highlight as well that she's looking forward to next year, The Netanyahu's by Joshua Cohen. Travis, who we heard from earlier, spoke very highly of it. And I've got a few Cohens on my shelf that I'm planning to prioritize for this year.
3: Mm.
0: Yeah, I, I really enjoyed that book. That was one of my best books of last year. Let's go over to Mark A. Henry. And he is joining us from Rhode Island. And he is fantastic. He is the author of Lacking Evidence, The Contrary. And he's also got a new book. Uh, coming up hopefully next year called The Honolulu Situation, which is just a great title. But let's listen to his clip now.
7: Hi, Ben. This is Mark A. Henry, author of Lacking Evidence to the Contrary. Thanks again for having me on back in the summer and for another great year of podcasts. Beyond Zero led me to one of my favorite reads of 2022, which is Meiselman, The Lean Years by Avner Landis, a comic masterclass and a look into the maladjusted mind. And to be clear, I'm talking about Meiselman and not Landy's there. As for 2023, as you probably know, writing is like sex in that you think about it all the time, and the best part is right at the end when you finish. So with that in mind, I'm looking forward to finishing up my new novel, The Honolulu Situation, and you will be among the first to know when it's released sometime next year. Thanks again for everything, brother. Happy holidays to you and all your listeners. One thing I forgot to mention, the treasure in Rhode Island remains unclaimed. Yeah.
1: So I got to say this, I don't know what that book is about at this point, but how do you resist a title, The Honolulu Situation? I just <laughs> want to know what went down there, you know? <laughs> Mark, you know how to draw someone in here, seriously.
0: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, yes, it's, it's a great title and I can't wait to read it. His last book was just a lot of fun, so... I'm sure that this will not disappoint. And Maiselman the is by Avner Landis, who is hopefully going to join us later. He might phone in from his home in Israel. So yeah, it's such a funny book. It's really really good.
1: Fantastic. Uh, I'm not going to say the phrase anyway. You know what I'm going to say about that.
0: <laughs> one more one more thing with Mark A. Henry. Now he Do did tell. add at the end of at the end of his little clip. Mm-hmm. He added that uh, the treasure has still not been found. Are you aware of this treasure?
1: Do tell. I did hear him say that, but I haven't. Uh, I'm not familiar with the treasure. You'll so have to fill me in here.
0: on his episode, he related the story, which is a great story, where he was, you know, his kids were a lot younger. He went to a yard sale, bought a puzzle, and they went and did their puzzle um, in their, like, little holiday house, I guess, on Jamestown, Rhode Island, which apparently is beautiful. On the back of this puzzle, they realized was... Some clues and a map. And the map was a treasure map. So when they put the puzzle together and managed to flip the puzzle over, they were able to follow this treasure map. And um essentially, like they put the whole thing on YouTube, like there's a great video of this whole thing on YouTube. And like there's a there's a treasure at the end of it. And so what Mark did at the end of finding this treasure with his family, he restored all of the clues and all of the uh, I guess the treasure back to its place and It has still not been claimed. So go to Jamestown, Rhode Island and find this treasure. Um, Get in touch with Mark and he'll give you the clues. So that's pretty awesome.
1: This isn't going to be like one of those, uh, you remember the safe thing from Reddit a couple of years back where they're like, what's in this safe? And then it turned out to be a bunch of nothing, basically Uh, on the one hand, I do hope there's a treasure in there. On the other hand, I would love to see him just trolling us all and have like fifty people fly to Rhode Island just to find out nothing's there. So whatever you're up to, Mark, I'm here for it.
0: <laughs> yes. Um, I don't think it's a huge monetary value uh of treasure, but that's still like it's pretty amazing. Like go on a treasure hunt. That's awesome. Go do Hot it. Plot
1: twist. It's just an advanced reader copy of um the Honolulu situation coming out twenty twenty three.
0: Well, I think I did tell him that in the treasure chest, he should leave a copy of his uh, his previous book, um, Lacking Evidence of the Contrary. So yes, go find it.
1: All right. Uh, next up, we have Max Lawton, who seems to be living in a number of different places. Where's he at these days? I've talked to him in New York, but I also think he spends some time in Germany. Do I have that right? Where's he at these so. days?
0: I don't know. Um, God, Max is hard to track down. I believe last time I heard he was in somewhere in Europe, but um, yes, he may well be back in the U.S. Max is, I think Max might be a spy.
1: Might be. Yeah, yeah. no, I'd say let's, um. there's probably a sports bet on that at the current <laughs> moment. What are the odds? Uh, <laughs> let's hear what he has to say about 2022 and 2023.
7: Hey, guys. Um, thanks so much for having me on. This year was a cool, cool year for reading, of course. Uh, Read a lot of old stuff in addition to the new. I know we're mostly interested in the new, but I would be remiss in not saying that I finally read all of Proust's cycle, which, it wasn't bad, but, I mean, of course, (laughs) Proust sucked, Uh, but it wasn't as illuminating as I thought it might be after having read the first volume, whatever, six, seven years ago, and then always thinking about reading the whole thing, but, you know, it is what it is, it was worth reading for sure, I'm glad I've done it. I actually was more blown away by uh, Henry James's novels that I read, Um, the two best. Well, the most extreme was Ezra Pound's favorite, you know, this sacred fount and Wings of the Dove, which are insane. Pound hilariously says these are great novels to read unless you're students of prose or writers in training, in which case you shouldn't. Um, Or, you know, Joyce's favorite portrait, The Portrait of a Lady, I believe. Although it could be a portrait of the lady. No, it's the B of A. I always mix up the articles there. Uh, yeah, so that was fantastic, but I know we we're mostly interested in the new. And in that sense, I really loved Solenoid, as you know. Um, if you've seen my blurb, you can read that out loud if you want your listeners to know what an uh, idiot I am. Really did not get why um, people didn't like. Cormac McCarthy's The Passenger. It seemed to me like it was an elder statesman sort of going further out into the wilderness than they usually do, trying something new. As I wrote to another mag that asked me, it's sort of like piss taken straight into the mouth of death, but the piss contains all this weird James Elroy stuff, Pynchon stuff, JFK assassination, conspiracy theories, physics, astrophysics, quantum mechanics, etc., etc. Awesome book. Actually, I actually haven't read the companion volume yet, so hopefully that'll just be tacked on as like a expansion pack to the book that is also very good. Um, <clears throat> uh, I really liked both the Newfound saline novels, but London especially. I loved love books about London in general. Something about that city is just so literary, but not in the way you think. Um, really disgusting, new, old, sort of old-fashioned Gallic extremity. Of Regis Joffretz, as you'd say in English, Microfictions 2022, and Guillotas depuis une fenêtre. Um, third volume in his trilogy. This one's come off come out <clears throat> since his death. Um, those are just horrific in terms of content and highly experimental on the level of the word. But really, you gotta read him. If you speak French, you gotta read him. Uh, I hated the New Welbeck to negate. Although I think it's just called Annihilate. But I like the idea of translating it super uh, in super Hegelian fashion to To Negate. New novel by Michel Welbeck. To Negate. Um, yeah, it was just totally off. There are some funny bits, but it was just, whatever, 650 pages. Oh, so many weak sections. So many sections with so little spice. Seemed like he suddenly had all these so, like... Um, You know, the centrist meme that's like, why would you say something so uh, extreme yet so brave or something like that? It was just like all these odes to a finance minister and then like talking about uh, this weird sort of polemic with uh, euthanasia. I don't know. Not really good. There's a very funny part. There's some parts like two or three parts of the book I think of like when he accidentally gets a blowjob from his niece who's working as an escort. That's a good part. Wanted more of that. Um, uh, the new Orhan Pamuk novel, on the other hand, was a great return to form, especially like in the second half that he really takes the piss out of Turkish political culture. Um, parodies Ataturk directly, which is insane. Uh, almost got prosecuted for it, but said it wasn't Ataturk. I guess I won't contradict him. It's not Ataturk at the end. It's not. Definitely not Ataturk. Um, yeah, beyond that, Peter Nadosh came back with a new novel, In German, it was published, which is the way I could read it. I don't read Hungarian, unfortunately. Called Horror Stories, I guess you might want to call it. That'd be a good translation because Parallel Stories, Horror horror Stories. Awesome book. Awesome, awesome. I'm trying to convince every publisher I'm in touch with for my own work to hire someone to translate it. I just love Nadash. If you haven't read Parallel Stories, read it yesterday. Uh, Sorokin. My man, my lit daddy, he had a new book this year, of short stories called De Feminis, which was really good. A lot of those have already come out in English and more to come, but that was great. It has a nice Jehovian flair to it. Um, Blake Butler, another one of my homies, his new book Annex or Annex uh, was awesome. It was like getting fucked in the brain as happens in therefore Hearts. hearts. Um, really, really insane book. Uh it's sort of like Finnegan's Wake mixed with uh, William Gibson and a bunch of other stuff but just get it and see, see what you think also Lapvona um, by Atessa Mushfeg. that book rocks don't let anyone tell you it's bad I really want a hard to be a God style adaptation of Lapvona and it just uh, reads as smoothly as black butter as I like to say about stuff uh, I also read a few books that are coming out next year that I was lucky to get sneak peeks of. So I'll just sort of, at the risk of sounding like a pretentious ass, tell you how cool they are. Which is not only does Paulo have a book coming out at Dalky, which you should read, he has a new book coming out in Spanish called Butes or Boots. I'm not actually sure how it's pronounced, which is shameful. <laughs> but that was really awesome to get to read that in Spanish, and it's coming out. For everyone to read in Spanish, Paulo wrote it in both Catalan and Spanish. I guess he translated his own original Catalan text into Spanish. That guy's a maniac. Don't know how he does it. Mm. And um, Ian Sinclair has a new novel he's working on that I've had the privilege of getting uh, some good looks at. Uh, everyone should read Ian Sinclair. Everyone should read Ian Sinclair. Everyone should read Ian Sinclair. If you haven't read Downriver, you haven't read the best English language prose stylist since Joyce, and Andre, the untranslated, another homie, he uh, agrees with this, so read Ian Sinclair, read Downriver, read it yesterday, and then the new Brett Easton Ellis novel, novel Brett Easton Ellis, another, another uh, really nice guy, um, super lucky to be able to read his new book, The Shards, first novel in 13 years, which that's coming out uh, near the beginning of next year, it's awesome, it is awesome, a lot of great stuff coming next year, some of it I'm involved with, a lot of it I'm not. I think we got a couple canals, Knauss, two Canals Gold novels coming next year. Are you kidding me? The sequel to The Morning Star and Out of the World, which I read in German. Don't read Norwegian, unfortunately. Uh, those alone. I mean, are you kidding me? Two Canals Gold novels in one year, and you anglophone readers are going to get to see how much the new Welbeck novel sucks. So sorry about that. New collection of Sorokin short stories for me coming in May. Jonathan Lattell nonfiction book coming. I don't know a month, some other stuff coming. I don't know what month. Uh, I'm excited. Excited to read a lot. Thanks. Thanks for having me on mates as they say, and uh, yeah, enjoy your holidays. I hope you, yeah, I hope you read all the books I recommend dear listeners because they will blow your minds.
1: A couple of spicy takes there, if I do say so myself, uh, you want to so take this nice. one first?
0: Uh, let's start from the, I guess the, the one thing that I've been looking forward to for like two years now. Is oh, I know what this is. It's Wellback.
1: the new Wellback, isn't it? Yeah. That's right. There it is.
0: Yeah. Um, I've been looking forward to it for ages, uh, in English and I know Max thinks it's total shit. Um, though the, the, the blowjob scene sounds pretty good. Yes. I do hope he's a little bit wrong, but I, I am pretty sure Max is right. Cause he's just a fucking genius. So, um, yes. We will wait and see, but yes, (laughs) but also some of his other things like his take on Blake Butler's annex, getting fucked in the brain. Uh, Yeah, I totally agree. No, you
1: missed the second half of that, getting fucked in the brain like their four hearts. Uh, I (laughs) think he also described it as Finnegan's wake mixed with William Gibson, which is just like, (laughs) yeah, okay, whatever this is, I want it right now.
0: Yeah. Exactly. Yes.
1: And are we going to ignore the fact that he referred to Sorokin as his lib daddy?
0: <laughs> well, I think I think we all know that by now. There's some pictures where, you know, Sorokin's kind of looking like Santa Claus. So, yeah, I think it's
1: We need to photosh- we need to photoshop their faces over like Wallace and Gromit or Calvin and Hobbes <laughs> or something.
0: Yeah, exactly. Now, that's another blind spot for me because I've read a little bit of Sorokin, but I haven't read their four hearts yet. So,
1: uh it is wild it it goes to a lot of transgressive places that you may have read in other fiction but i think what he does with the ending is just something different than anything else i've read i won't talk about it at length because i've already done that on youtube but um it's definitely worth your time
0: now let's move on to what he's looking forward to because uh Some of the stuff he's looking forward to, I think in general, is always amazing. But um, we obviously know there's new Sorokin, there's new Littell, there's new Brett Easton Ellis, which sounds pretty cool. Ian Sinclair, new book. Now, Ian Sinclair is something that I have not read Downriver yet. So I think I need to read that.
1: I got a signed copy over here if you want to borrow it.
0: Oh, done. Okay. Easy.
1: Excellent. Uh, You have glossed over the most exciting one for me personally, Mm, Boots by Mikel de Palal. So to those of you who are not familiar with this particular monstrosity, go read Andre's review from the untranslated. This just made it into Spanish. As I understand it, Palal actually translated it into Spanish himself. And so my project over the next, eh, between one and five years is hassling Max repeatedly to translate it into English. So Mm -hmm. Max, if you're listening, this is the first of many pushes I'm going to, you know, in your direction here.
0: (laughs) Excellent. All right. Let's go to our next guest. It is the wonderful Adam Levin. Let's go over to him. I believe he's calling in from Florida.
8: Hey there, Ben and Beyond the Zero listeners, Um, this is Adam Levin, and I've read a bunch of great books this year, but last time uh, when I spoke to Ben, I gave such an excessive list, uh, I think I'll keep this one lean and mean, two and two, so uh, I read Emperor's Tomb by Joseph Roth uh this uh recent translation by Michael Hoffman and um I'd only ever read Rudetsky March before and uh I, I, I loved Rudetsky March but it was sort of you know very serious book and uh Emperor's Tomb I would say is is no less serious but it's really funny also uh I was I was surprised I uh, really enjoyed that one um and then the forthcoming uh Bill Cotter book which I think is actually out uh, and maybe a couple of weeks, I, I got to read that in galleys. It's called um, The Splendid Ticket. Uh, and I'm a huge fan of Bill Cotter's. Uh, I love Fever Chart. Um, and yeah, that one is just this really concise, um, moving, and also very funny book uh, about uh family that uh, wins this, just an epically huge lottery. Um, and uh I don't know. There's a lot of book love in it. Uh, it's, 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 it's a lot of fun. Um, what I'm looking forward to uh, is actually another book that is coming out in a couple weeks. I'm dying to read is uh, the new Sam Lipsight novel, uh, No One Left to Come Looking for You. Um, and then a little later, uh, I'm not sure exactly when, but um, I think in I think March or May, uh, one of those M months, uh, Lee Klein. Uh, who wrote uh, Neutral Evil, which is this short novel that I that I just flipped out for? I read it uh, a couple years ago. Uh, there's a follow-up to that um, called Chaotic Good that's going to be published by uh, Sagging Meniscus, and I'm I'm real psyched for that one. Uh, I'm also supposed to say something about my work. I'm not really uh, I'm I'm a bit superstitious about talking about anything I'm working on, so I won't do that. But I will say that. Uh, next year, like I think end of spring, beginning of summer, something like that. Um, McSweeney's is, um, going to put out a new edition of the instructions. It's going to be a two volume paperback so that it's not all, uh, making your neck and your elbow and your back suffer for holding it. Um, and, uh, I think it's going to be quite pretty. I haven't seen the cover art yet, but the, the discussions are, are lovely. So, um, anyways, uh, I guess, happy new year or happy end of year. Happy holidays. Um, All right.
0: What do we make of this news that McSweeney's are putting out a two volume paperback reissue of the instructions? Two
1: volume paperback. Uh, I've already got that massive 18 pound hardcover here, but Mm -hmm. I really want that paperback. I just love the sound of it. And considering how hard it is to come by these days for people who are interested in reading it, I think that's great that they're going to be making it available to more readers because that's mm. a pretty seminal text, particularly in his catalogue.
0: Yeah. Have you read Mount be... Chicago?
1: Uh, okay. So that's a blind spot from this year. I have not read Mount Chicago yet. Uh, I've got it right here. I've been dying to read it, but just keep getting distracted as one <laughs> does.
0: Empress Tune by Joseph Roth. Yes. I haven't. I haven't read that yet. I've read a lot of other Roth, but I haven't read Empress Dream.
1: This is actually a case of the draw being the translator rather than the author for me. Mm. I love the stuff that Michael Hoffman's done, p- mm. particularly his Kafka translations. Uh, his translation of The Burrow, which is arguably my favorite Kafka, is just outstanding. I love his work. So when I saw that this was done by him, I'm like, you know what? I've never read Joseph Roth, but I'll come around to whatever this is. So,
0: cool. All right, let's move on. Who have we got next?
1: We have David Keenan calling in from what city in Scotland?
0: He is in Glasgow.
1: Glasgow. Wonderful. David Keenan, everyone.
0: Thanks for joining me, David, on the end of year special. Merry Christmas.
9: Yeah, Merry Christmas to you, been Lovely to be back.
0: It is so nice to see you again. And it is so nice to see you this year because I've seen you a couple of times, which has been great. But you've had such a busy year, haven't you?
9: Yeah, it's been amazing. Well, I mean, what's been amazing as well is just getting back into it. I mean, during lockdown, obviously, I published Extra and Monument Maker, and I didn't really get to do much. You know, I didn't really get to do events or or go out on the road, and I, I really did miss it. I mean, one of the I began to think that it's no fun just writing books and sending them out. I began to realise part of the reason I write these books is so I can meet other people who like to talk about this sort of stuff, where you can go out on the road and meet people as well. So I would really missed that. So this year I got published Industry of Magic and Light and uh, I got to travel a lot again, which is great. I did a whole bunch of events with my friend, the writer DBC, Pierre, which was very enjoyable. I visited Ibiza for the first time. I did some talks in Ibiza, which was a lot of fun. Uh, I went back to Carcassonne and did the Convenanza Festival as well, the first time since Andrew Weatherall had died. And that was really emotional and moving. And yeah, I've had an absolutely amazing year. It's been so good.
0: Unbelievable. And You were telling me before about the exciting news about Monument Maker in the US as well, right?
9: Yeah, I'm really excited about that. So Monument Maker comes out in hardback on March the 21st with Europa Editions. It's got a new cover and I think it looks really great as well. And I'm just really excited for it to come out in America because I don't know, I think it's... In a way, maybe that's an audience that's even more suited to it than a UK audience somehow. You know, maybe it relates more to these these sort of big books that come out of the Americas more than it relates to books that come out of the UK. So I'm really excited for American audiences to have a chance to connect with that for sure.
0: Yeah, I think they'll love it. And, yeah, it's so nice to be able to share it with people all over the world. And, yeah, it's... Brilliant. Yeah. I I did an interview yesterday with with Seth, um, and he asked me my top ten and Monument Maker was definitely on the list for me. Um, oh, so, wow! Yeah, amazing,
9: nice. brilliant.
0: Yeah. Um, do you have any other updates on your writing?
9: Well, yes, I do. So my next book, Paimon, um, is finished. We're just we're just waiting to do some editorial on it, but the rough draft is done. And this is the book that ends the whole first arc. I've began to realise that all these books from Monument from um, Memorial Device. Um, right up to Paimon are sort of part of a first phase in a way and all sort of relate to each other. I mean, they're all standalone fictions and standalone reads. They always are, but, they, but on the same, at the same time, there are all these connections and subterranean connections to the rest of the, the catalogue. And I think Paimon sort of brings, I mean, it's not explicable. I mean, it doesn't explain anything. It's not like it ties everything up, but in a way it kind of does. It brings a lot of things to sort of conclusion. It's very much a, a follow-up to Monument Maker as much as it's a follow-up to Memorial Device. And it ends that first phase, and it feels right. It feels that like that's definitely something ends with Pine One for me. And then there's a certain... I'm not sure where I'll go after that in terms of publication. I mean, I've been writing a lot since then. I'm writing a book called Boyhood at the moment, which seems to me to perhaps the beginning of, the beginning of a new phase but um, I'm definitely yeah, I'm definitely at a sort of crossroads here at a moment where I feel things changing again in my writing and certain things coming to an end and I'm putting certain things to a rest. It's quite exciting in a way. And in a way, I was amazed when I reread Paimon recently and I was just finishing it off that somehow it does bring all these things to some kind of strange conclusion. So it's got a very natural rhythm to it. It seems it all feels, everything feels, you know, I mean, it wasn't planned. I mean, things like Ex to Beth and, and, and Monument Maker, I had no idea I was going to write. I certainly had no idea I was even going to publish it. But looking back now, things have gone so organically and so perfectly. I, I love the, the arc of the books and how they all interact. So I'm really excited to end this phase and then see what happens next, kind of thing, you know. I want to go somewhere else. I mean, I think all the books are pretty radically different in themselves, but I'm feeling an urge to break even further and go somewhere else, you know. So as I say, I'm in this book, Boyhood, at the moment, which is um, quite different from anything else I've written because it's about much younger characters and it's written in a kind of diary form as well. So, um, I have to say, when I first started it, and I guess this happens with a lot of books, I was really unsure. I was like, what on earth is this book and why am I writing it? And I think m- m- maybe once I got to about 20,000 words, I was like, okay, it feels like there's, there's a stability here. There's a framework here that I know I can work with and have fun with. And I'm starting to get excited about it, you know, but it's great when you start these books and you really have no idea where they're going or why you're even writing it. It's so such an odd feeling. I love
0: it. <laughs> Brilliant. All right, let's hear about some of your highlights from reading in twenty twenty two.
9: Okay, I mean, but hands down, my favourite book that I read in twenty twenty two, and there's no competition for me, is uh, Clarissa Lispector's Too Much of Life: The Complete Chronicles. Absolutely amazing, and these are the, the 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 journals that she wrote for in Rio for the Journal de Brazil between nineteen sixty seven and in nineteen seventy seven, and they're so amazing. One of the things she wrote, she reminded me of in this, and I hadn't thought of it before, was was Robert Walser, hmm. because I think what what Clarice has, has got like Walser is such a such an incredible curiosity and such a fascination for just everyday objects. I always remember there was a great essay that um I mean I'm a huge Walser fan, and in, in a way I think extabed was might have been subliminally influenced by Walser in some kind of way. There was a great essay that Walser writes about trousers. You know, he can write about anything. I wonder if he decides to write an essay about trousers, and it's just, it's completely amazing. It's funny, and it's and it's really magical. And what Clarice does through, throughout too much of life is exactly that. She can write about really anything. You know, a coffee, an ice cream, getting a taxi, somebody who wrote a letter, all these types of things, and and she can see the magic, the magic in the moment. And also, it goes further than that. It's almost like she can see eternity. In the moment, eternity and the object. And these tiny objects, you can see the eternity behind them. And, of course, her language is incredible. And she uses language to push you to the very precipice of, of what language can do, as close as possible to delivering the object itself. It's an uncanny feeling. She goes right to the precipice of language, and then she sort of points. She points just beyond what language can say. And you kind of gasp. And all through this book, I gasped again and again. And one of the other uncanny uncanny things about too much of life that I loved is, possibly my favourite book of all time is um, Agua Viva by Clarice Lispector. It's a holy book. It's an incredible, affirmative, magical book. And I think that it was written round about the time that she was writing these chronicles as well. And it's almost as if you can see or experience the ghostly lineaments of Agua Viva through, through these columns. It's a really uncanny, uncanny feeling. So it was a magical read. I read it twice this year, just to, some of these books you just want to be inside. That's another thing that I love about books, that books, well, the point of the book is the experience of reading the book itself. The point of Clarissa Spector is being inside this book. It's really wonderful. Published by Penguin Classics. It's a big chunky monster, but it was absolutely amazing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. In fact, I would rate it up there as one of Clarice's uh, greatest books. I would say like up there with Agua Viva, if you want an introduction to Clarice, I would actually say go here before even some of the novels. It's really, really, I actually think the quality of the translation, I can't remember who translated it. It's not, um, it's not Moser who normally does the translations. The uh, uh, Margaret Costa and Robin Parson. I think the translation is absolutely fantastic as well. It's really up there with some of the best uh, of the works. I'm
0: buying it for sure.
9: Brilliant. Oh, I highly recommend it. Ben, I think you'd absolutely love it. Phenomenal, phenomenal book. Excellent. Um, Okay. And then um DBC Pierre, Big Snake, Little Snake, an Inquiry into Risk. So um DBC Pierre was one of my not just one of my favorite authors, one of my favorite people. Um, he's a good friend of mine. He's an he's an incredible thinker. He has the greatest brain of virtually anyone I've ever known, fascinating. And he's lived a life that um Goes very close to fic- feels very close to fiction as well. It's very hard to know what's real and what's not with Pierre. He's lived so many incredible lives. So he's out, he goes out in Trinidad. He goes. Out to, this book is it's kind of like a memoir. He goes out to Trinidad uh, to make a film about a parrot. It's not really clear why he makes this. He, he wants to make this film about a parrot, but it's a very Pierre thing to do. And he finds a snake. He finds a snake uh, uh, on his doorstep. And there's a system in, in Trinidad. There's a, there's a system of numbers attached to snakes and so Pierre begins Pierre views the snakes as snakes a symbol of luck and then he has this adventure in Trinidad based on on gambling and odds. And so the whole book is really about um whether it's about fate, it's about chance, it's about whether you can force the hand of chance. Um he's this beautiful idea about reality cascades. Like when you make a decision, when you bet on something where you when you will you where you take a first step that you sort of open up a whole new cascade of reality. And he asked these big questions like, um, "Does the universe respond to attention?" And you know, I've, I took so many notes when I was, i don't normally take notes—but um, for some reason, this really inspired me to take loads of notes. I'll just read you some of the some of the lines that I wrote down to give you a kind of flavour of what the book's right. Where maths decoheres into reality, the ballistic chaos of maths outside the window—in short, reality. Um. Let me see. He talks about Niels Bohr. You know Niels Bohr who's one of the big quantum physics thinkers. Niels Bohr had a, apparently had a house next to the Heineken beer factory and Heineken actually put a tap through so he could have beer on tap 24-7. So there's a whole section about it, it, intuition and creativity related to um, um, excess and intoxication which is another, another big interest of, um, of Pierre's. Um let me see what else. Uh, is it possible to force the hand of chance, chaos versus in two of order, reality cascades, the space between odds and their outcome? These are all these ideas that are coming through it. So I found that an, an extraordinary book, an extraordinary insight in the mind of Pierre. And also it's kind of like a, a, a manual for living magically in the guise of a memoir about gambling. And in a way, all of Pierre's books are kind of like that, guides for living magically. I mean he had that other incredible book about writing. What was it called? Release the bats. Mm,
0: yeah.
9: Again, it's and he's very good about he's very good about how about how, how to work intuitively and how to sort of attract magic and, and inspiration in your life. And I mean, so yeah, it's a phenomenal book. I think it's one of Pierre's best, published by Cheerio. Again, highly recommended. Um another massive novel. But that feels if this novel should have made much more noise than it did. I don't get it. I think it's maybe a lack of appetite for. I mean, difficult. I don't think it's difficult, but challenging big books. I'm talking about Patrick McCabe.
0: Yes, Peg Mahorn, yes. Oh, my
9: God. I mean, fuck me. What, what a book. What an absolute mind-blower. Now, you know, it's written almost like a sort of prose poem. Mm. And um, it's an incredible... I mean, in a way, it's got a lot in common with industry and magic and light as well. Because, again, it's a love letter to the counterculture of the 1960s mm. and the 1970s. But the language is just so alive and wild and dangerous and... And you really, you're not really sure what's going on. Are there, are there many characters? Are there two characters? Is it a mm-hmm. woman who's um in a care home at the end of her life and suffering from dementia, whose brain is, is riddled with all these uh, memories and ideas or is it something else? But it's just so daring. The process is so beautiful and radical and funny, very, very funny. It's classic Irish modernism in mm-hmm. that it's challenging, it's deconstructing, but it's totally affirmative and it's full of absolute belly laughs as well. And I just don't, for me, this should have been on the booker list for sure, for sure or some list. Mm-hmm. I don't understand why something like this was so passed by. But for me, it's a major, major book by a major writer. And what just a wild energy. I love the wild energy of McCabe. And it's really captured perfectly in this wonderful book.
0: The payoff of that book as well is brilliant. Like I just loved it when I got to that point, And you're just yeah. like, Oh yes, this is so good. Yeah.
9: yeah. Yeah, totally, exactly. I don't want to give it away as it goes on. It's a book you need to absolutely abandon yourself mm-hmm. to, but Wow, yeah, the way it yeah. reconciles and resolves is absolutely mm. amazing Because you're kind of like see it first, but I love that feeling You have to absolutely surrender yourself to it And then yeah. you're sort of taken along And also, McCabe has got an amazing I mean, he sounds like somebody that lived the 60s and 70s Because it's mm. really, he's got some really underground knowledge of the, of the shit that was going on then. Yeah. A, a phenomenal book, a phenomenal book
0: Stay tuned, because he's coming up on the show in a couple of weeks Oh, is he? Oh
9: my God, that's going to be amazing Yeah Very exciting, fantastic So is that
0: coming up soon? Yeah, about two weeks
9: Fantastic, I'm very excited about that. Um, this is one of the un- most uncannily fascinating books that I read this year, The Lascaux Notebooks by Jean-Luc Champaret, edited and tra- translated by Philip Terry. Now, I think it was a friend, a friend turned me on to this, to this book because he knows I'm very interested in Lascaux and, you know, prehistoric art and cave paintings. And what this book purported purports to be is a sort of a folder that was found that consists of translations of some of the prehistoric art on the walls of Lascaux. Now, what, what he's done is he's taken some of the little signs, the little signs of thing, found, and he's made a sort of educated guess of what some of them could be. And then on the, on the walls of the cave, occasionally there was a sort of matrix, a matrix sign that looks like uh, knots and crosses, like uh, a three by three sort of square. So what he does is he takes the little signs he puts them in this three by three squares and then he sort of translates them into poetry. So it's it starts. So I can read one, for instance, the first one is here is a uh, watchman, hut, spear. Next line, I tree, tree. Next line, I mist, mountains. And then he sort of poetizes it. So he takes it to the next level. He retranslates that. So the watchman by the hut holds his spear. One eye on the trees one eye on the mast, the mountains." And then he further criticizes it. The watchman sits by the hut, holding his spear erect. He keeps one eye on the trees, one eye on the mist-covered mountains. Finally, the watchman sits motionless by the hut, clutching his spear tight. He keeps one eye trained on the swaying trees at the forest edge. The other eye watches the mist as it rises over the mountains. It's remarkable. So it purports to be a collection of all these folders where this guy, Jean-Luc Champere had gone to guy and made the radical claim that the, the, the art on the walls of the Alaska campaigns is some of our earliest poetry. Fucking brilliant idea, but it gets deeper. So me and my friend, Ben, were so kind of obsessed with us that we wrote, we wrote to Philip Terry. And we said, this is a really remarkable undertaking and a remarkable discovery. Can you tell us more about it? And he was like... um, I made that up. <laughs> he actually wrote that book. He wrote oh. this book. He invented, he invented this guy. He invented all the notebooks that he'd found. And so it's almost like, I know it's a poetry collection, but it's mm-hmm. almost like a novel. It's, it reads like a novel. And when you get to that level of cracking it that Philip Terry's actually behind it, it's totally fascinating. And it doesn't make it any less valid. I mean, I'm... I'm, I'm, I'm I'm not convinced, and I don't think he's found the, the definitive reading of Lascow, but mm. he's found an absolutely fascinating reading of it that seems completely valid by coming at it via a sort of proxy, via an invented author. I mean, that appeals to me so completely. Mm. Because everything about this book really, really, really got to me. And I also think the quality of the, of the, the, the poetry is fantastic. It reminds me of the, some of the poetry that I love best, like um, uh, Gary Snyder, certainly, uh, maybe even Kenneth Rexroth, and also also Jerome Rothenberg. It really ties in with his Rothenberg's amazing anthologies like Technicians of the Sacred and uh, Revolution of the Word. it ties in with Rothenberg's idea of the that you know the um, archaic forms and avant-garde modern forms have so much in common. And that, that's where my heart is. At. I totally, you know, that, that ethno poetic idea of the archaic and the modern totally appeals to me. And it's beautifully articulated in the Wazkow notebook. So, again, what I mean, again, I, I've read this book again and again and again. And i and out of it. And I'm, I'm blown away by the very idea of it. It's a book I wish I'd written myself. The idea is so fantastic. So, that was published by Carcanet this year. And yeah, a massive favourite. Highly recommended. Um, and finally, from a have I've I've done my five favourite books. Um, th- this book came out of nowhere for me and completely blew me away. It's by James Birch, and it's called Bacon in Moscow, and it's about the time when they attempted to put on a Francis Bacon exhibition at the Central House of Artists in Moscow in nineteen eighty eight. Um, and it's completely fascinating. It's it's like a thriller. Um, it's an incredible insight into the Soviet Union at the time. It's a hymn, a beautiful love poem, to the power of art and painting. And it was the first, the mad thing is the first ever exhibition by a Western painter in the Soviet, in the USSR was Francis Bacon, which is a wild, wild thing. And when they eventually managed to put this painting on, like, I can't remember if it's even hundreds of thousands, certainly tens of thousands of people, queued up to see a Francis Bacon exhibition. Mm-hmm. I mean, you can't even imagine tens of thousands of people queuing up to see a Francis Bacon exhibition mm-hmm. in London now. Never mind at the time. And James is a great writer. There's loads of photographs. There's loads of, from the time. And and it's really quite, of course, he meets up with a Soviet fixer. He gets involved with the KGB and agents. And then he has this mad love affair with this beautiful model called Elena, who um, models her, I think it's the face or ID. And he eventually brings her back to the West with him. And it turns out it's a honey trap. It turns out she's a KGB agent. And she has been the whole time. And there's a whole huge file on him written by her. It's completely fascinating, I was totally gripped by it, just a great book about 20th century art and culture, really absolutely gripping. I'm a huge Francis Bacon fan anyway, so I was fascinated by that, great book. And again, it's a new publisher, Cheerio, who also published DBCPR, they're doing a really good job. They also published a great book by Taddy Thompson called Jackdaw, again it was a novel about someone who becomes possessed by the spirit of Francis Bacon where researching oh, yeah. them. That's another book that I really enjoyed this year. So I think that Chiro are doing really good stuff, really good stuff publishing at the moment.
0: OK, I'll have to chase them up. Brilliant.
9: Yeah, so that's five books that I really enjoyed. I thought I would also just mention things, two books that aren't contemporary, that had a huge effect on me this year, just out of the blue. One of them was uh, Patrick Modiano, The Black Notebook. Mm, now, true. this book had been recommended to me years ago by Andrew Weatherall, who, who's a huge Modiano fan, and I only got around to reading it this year. Absolutely blown away. me. One of the most eerily, eerily evocable. It's, it's a haunted book. It is a ghost of a book. And it's really about a guy who discovers a black notebook that he kept for a while when he was in Paris having an affair with a mysterious woman, I think she's called Dani, um, who seems to be involved with a bunch of ex-pat Moroccans in Paris and may have been responsible for a homicide. Um, but he goes back, so he's like, he, He's writing from the present day, but he's remembering back to the time and he's walking through Paris. It's very much a book about cities and walking as well. And as he walks through Paris, the present literally dissolves. And he's once again walking the streets with his with his lover. And he's once again trying to figure out exactly what happened, what happened back then. But it's so haunting, so beautiful. I was absolutely mesmerized by it. That's a, a unique book, a really, really special book that really blew me away this year. And um Another book that blew me away, unexpectedly, and I didn't really know anything about him. I think it was my friend, the brilliant writer, Wendy Erskine, who recommended him to me. Brian Moore. And it was, this is an early book by him called An Answer from Limbo. Um, it absolutely floored me. It's, it's basically about this guy, Brendan Tierney, a, um, an Irishman who is determined to be a writer, determined to be a novelist at all costs. So he goes to Ibiza to write. While well, he's there, he falls in love with uh, an American woman and his career's kind of derailed because he gets married and he moves to New York and he ends up having children. Um, but then he's sort of overtaken by this huge resentment and sort of panic about the fact that he never realised himself as a novelist. So he, he brings his Irish mother over, his, his widowed Irish mother over, look after his children. He encourages his wife to take a job. He quits his job and then he attempts to write this book, alongside other, he's, he's involved with other writers, and it captures all this sort of pit, the madness, the monomania, the page jealousies the the, the 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 disruptive relationships, the fucked up family life that come from committing at all costs to being a writer. But it, it was just so raw and and so deep, and and it, he really reminds me of Malcolm Lowry, actually, in, in his style and his writing, that that sort of. Taking literature seriously. The range of references he has in terms of uh, literature and and poetry and art are absolutely fantastic. And and in a way, you know, I know, I read a lot of experimental fiction, and this is just fairly it's not it's not straightforward at all, it's, but it's narratively, it's fairly straightforward. It's about big, interesting characters, and I hadn't been gripped by a sort of traditional novel like that in in, in so many years. So I don't know a lot about Brian, but he's another writer I really want to like seek out, but I really recommend. An answer from Limbo by Brian Moore had a really powerful effect on me uh, okay. this year.
0: Brilliant. Okay, one more question for you before I let you go. Um, yep. Is there any books you're looking forward to in 2023?
9: Yeah, the book I'm most looking forward to is Man Eating Typewriter by Richard Millward. Now it's Richard Millward's first book in uh, uh, ten years. Um, I read it when it was at the um, at the manuscript stage. Um, it's because my editor is also working on it and. Absolutely born It's written entirely in in Polari, which is a sort of um, which was a a subterranean uh, gay uh, dialect that was used in the nineteen sixties and seventies. Well, it still exists, but it was used in nineteen sixties and seventies and in in, uh, in London. And he's written the entire book in this. It's also a, it's a, a, again it's a hymn to art. It's a hymn to the counterculture, and a hint to the alchemy of the word, the magic of the word, how words can reinvent uh, reality. And it's it's a dazzling, it really is a dazzling achievement. I mean, when you read this book, it, it takes you a while to get into the rhythm of it because it is like a whole it's a whole, whole other language. I mean, you can kind of guess meanings here and there. Intuitively, you've got to sort of let yourself go at first with this book, but the deeper you get into it, the more amazing it is. And you end up feeling like utterly hypnotized, hypnotized by this, this whole new language. And I'm like... I don't know how Richard did it. I mean, spending 10 years with this Polari inside your brain. I mean, I asked him, did he dream in Polari? And he said he was starting to at one point. So that it's a huge book, a really challenging book. Again, mm-hmm. I'm excited for it. Um, I don't know what the reception will be like. Like Oak oh, oh, Mahone, is there, is there an appetite for these huge, challenging books at the moment? I don't know. But I'm really, really excited about it. And this is gonna, that's going to be one of the major publishing events of 2023. I'm, I'm absolutely sure.
0: Tell me a bit more about Polari. I've never heard of it.
9: Well, I mean, it's, I think, um, what do you call that guy? Kenneth Williams, who was in the Carry On films, like, he could do a bit of Polari as well. So it's like, um, some of it's a little bit, almost like Cockney rhyming slang, a little bit. But it's all these different words, it's very musical. There's these sort of rolling sentences. Everything's kind of in code. It wasn't sort of coded in a way. So it was a way of being able to speak or, or actually also make connections somehow in this underworld. If you were aware of this language, It sort of gave you the keys to being able to move in this um in this sort of gay underworld, which um I just love the idea of kind of whole language, which allows you access into a different world. Mm-hmm. Um, but as I say, it's not a completely a different language, so you can you can intuitively feel out what someone is saying she's kind of mean but other ones are kind of impenetrable and you need you just need to stick with it and it's kind of like a you learn polari as you go through the book which is quite amazing by the end of the book yeah you, you're kind of okay that with it you can get with the rhythms you can get with the feel a little bit it's something that has to be has to be read to be experienced but it's, it's yeah it's really quite impressive
0: Do you know who that who's that coming out through white rabbit oh brilliant okay
9: yeah, White Rabbit are doing, so Lee, yeah, Lee Braxton's the editor on it as well, so yeah. I think that's White Rabbit's big fiction book next year, so really quite exciting. I don't think Richard has ever, I haven't read any other Richard's other books, but he, I think he's one book was called Apples, it was published by Faber and Faber, I think he published it when he was 18, wow. I mean, again, talking about Pierre and Richard Milward, Milward did a reading of, of um, a reading from Man Eating Typewriter at the, at the launch night for Monument Maker, actually, and that was my first experience of it, and it was absolutely amazing, just to hear him read it as well, and to actually capture the rhythm and things. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I highly recommend that. I think you would love it, Ben, and I think you yeah, should look out for that.
0: Okay, brilliant. All right. Well, I should let you go. As always, okay. it's such a pleasure speaking with you, and I wish you so much luck with your writing and all of your touring, hopefully, for next year.
9: Thank you so much, Ben. It's always so much fun to be on the show, and um, look forward to talking about future books at some point as well.
0: All right. Well, exciting news first up for our American listeners Monument Maker is out in 2023. That's just amazing. It's pick of the year for me last year and it's just a great read and paimon as well i'm not sure when it's coming out but it'll come out at some point but um what do you make of his picks for 2022
1: pokemahon made its waves through different subsections of the Mm. online and literary discourse as i understand you quite liked it
0: i really enjoyed pokemahon i think it's um I feel like it was one of those books where I heard about briefly and then got reminded about several times, but it seems not to, like you said, it hasn't like really made a huge splash, um, but I really recommend it. I think the idea of a prose novel um, puts a lot of people off, but it really doesn't, like it doesn't stop your enjoyment of it at all. In fact, I think it's uh, even better for for that fact, but it's not... Um, it's not what you think it will be. It's definitely not. And it's a really kind of easy read once you get into it. But it's, um, yeah, it's really, really does pack a punch. It's kind of brilliant.
1: Is it one of those things where there's a bit of an adaptation period in the beginning where you have to find your rhythm with it? Um, maybe not a one-to-one comparison, but I think of something like Mason and Dixon by Pynchon where it takes you a good kind of eh, 20 to 50 pages to settle into what he's doing with language and syntax. But once you're there, you're there.
0: I think this took me less time than Mason and Dixon did. I think once you get into the rhythm of this, it is just super addictive reading. And because it's in prose, I don't mean this uh, in a bad way at all. Because it's in a prose kind of style, there's much less words on a page. And so things are kind of, you can read through this book fairly quickly. And I think that's the way you've got to do it. You've got to get through it and just go nice and fast. And And this kind of format makes that really easy to do.
3: I
1: think like when you say prose, you're referring to prose poetry, right? Yeah. It's Mm -hmm. got that sort of, yeah, that rhythmic style to it. Uh, When I think of something in that vein, what immediately comes to mind is Autobiography of Red by Anne Carson. And that's Mm -hmm. one of those ones that people wouldn't necessarily associate with that uh, forefronted poetry style, despite the fact she is a poet. So it's, I don't know, I would use that as sort of a reference point to tell people don't be scared off by something like this.
0: Mm-hmm. Um
1: I think a lot more people will find it palatable than they realize.
0: Yeah. Exactly. All right, one other notable thing here. Like and and Keenan I find him like one of the best recommenders of books. I'm going to buy Too Much of Life from Clarissa Lispector. I've got to uh get DBC Pierre's book Big Snake Little Snake because I love DBC Pierre. I think he's great. The Last Cow notebook sounds unbelievable. So I'm getting that. But the most exciting thing he was talking about is this Richard Millwood book, Man Eating Typewriter. That just sounds just fucking amazing. So I want to get my hands on that.
1: You guys listening at home can't see this, but on the little Google Doc we have open on the side of our screen here, all that Ben's written beside Man Eating Typewriter is fuck yes and like four <laughs> exclamation points. So I can tell your enthusiasm just from the jump here.
0: Yeah, yeah. I'm definitely going for that. I think that it just sounds like the kind of book where it sounds totally different to anything else. It just sounds like it's going to be a huge thing. I think it's like it's also like a huge amount of pages too. So it'll be out through White Rabbit Books next year.
8: Have yourself a merry little Christmas. Let your heart be light.
0: From now on Our troubles will be out of sight That is the end of part one of the Beyond the Zero interview special with Ben and Seth. Stay tuned for part two coming very soon.
8: Have yourself a merry little Christmas Make the Yuletide gay Make the Yuletide gay From now on Our troubles will be miles away Here we are as in olden days Happy golden days of yore Faithful friends who are dear to us Gather near to us